You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's going on, everybody? This is the Talking Chop Podcast, a podcast devoted solely to covering the Atlanta Braves Baseball Club. I am not Brad Rowland, your regular host. You may recognize me, Eric Cole, over uh, from uh, the Road to Atlanta podcast, or I've made appearances on this very podcast, or just on various other forms of media. Brad is out of town. I believe he's in Vegas doing base, uh, not baseball stuff, basketball stuff, uh, covering Summer League. And so he asked me to take over the main hosting duties, but I couldn't have done this show without uh, my good buddy. And guy I don't get to talk to a whole lot, at least in the <laughs> is uh, one Scott Coleman. How are you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. It was, uh, we're recording this, for those who don't know, we're recording this about 10 minutes after Sunday's game wrapped up, so you can imagine it was, uh, it was a little stressful as we were sitting here ready to record, but yeah, that was, uh, you know, it's kind of a reflection of the first half though, right? I mean, it wasn't necessarily the prettiest thing in the world, and it, it made our horses, hearts rate, and like you said, you need a drink, but, uh, at the end of the day, the Braves won, and, and now they get to go into a much needed break for the next four or five days and kind of recover a little bit. Yeah, it, it was it was just hysterical kind of how it went. The Braves were in control for literally the first seven innings. Then basically a fastball that doesn't get in quite enough results in a three-run homer to make it a one-run game. And then a confluence of events in the ninth inning results in the bases loaded being bases loaded twice against Luke Jackson uh, and a miracle Charlie Culberson throw home uh, saves for, saves the 4-3 win for the Braves. It was kind of wild. Uh, yeah, that's, that's got to be the best, like, not, I mean, I obviously haven't given too much thought this, but that has to be the best ninth inning defensive play for the Braves since Hayward made that catch with Craig Kimbrell closing, like in 2013, 2014, whatever it was, where Kimbrell turned around. And that's a really good one. Pointed um, to the heavens, basically. Yeah, I mean, that was, to to make that catch after sitting on the bench for seven, eight, I think he came in in the top of the eighth, so he'd been out there at least one inning, but... I mean, to make that catch cold off the bench, and, and then the throw was perfect. If it's anything less than perfect, uh, Alfaro gets in. So it was it was pretty well, incredible. So there's a couple candidates here. I know Andrew had a couple crazy catches in ninth innings, but, I mean, that's not, you know, outside the realm of possibility considering how good he was defensively. But that Dansby throw in the in the Arizona game last oh, year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah was, I was, was there at that game. Yeah, it was a big, it was a big spot. Um, you know, makes like makes the diving play, makes the throw home, and ends the game on the spot. It was I mean, that's another really good one, but this was a great, I mean, it was a great throw. I'm, I don't even know how Culperson, the way he ended up being like across his body, he got 90 miles an hour straight to home on that throw, but he did. Yeah. So, um, the way this is going to go, we're just going to do a little bit, some kind of some news type items, some things that just happened during the game, as well as some things that have happened in the past week. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the all-star break and kind of what's going on, a little bigger picture stuff. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the trade deadline. But before we get to all that, uh, first bit of news item, that we had this week was Anthony Swarzak went to the injured list, man. I'm, I was pretty bummed because especially with his history of shoulder issues, it's not something that you like want to hear, but it doesn't sound like it's too serious. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about it? Yeah. It's, it's I mean, considering he's been a godsend since the trade, it, it's never good to lose a guy like that. Hopefully, as you said, he has, he does have a bit of a history with some shoulder problems. Um, but I think Brian Snicker said a couple of days ago they expect him back. I think the Saturday after the break is when he's eligible to come off the injured list. So hopefully it was just a good 10 days to to get him right. I think it was uh, some inflammation of sorts, and hopefully he was able to get some work and some treatment done on it, and, and he'll be ready to go because they will certainly need him in the second half. Yeah, he's been great, and it was funny when that trade happened because I think if the Braves have – around the time that this happened, if the Braves had announced that they were just releasing Jesse Biddle and Viz, that there wouldn't have been nearly as much of an outcry. But people were like, why are we taking back Swarzak? He hasn't been any good this year. So every every time I get asked about it, at least early on, I was just like, it's just like releasing those guys but with upside. Like there's a chance that you get a viable reliever out of the deal, and he's been great. He's been one of their most steady relievers for sure. You know, reasonable people can kind of debate as to who's been the best just because, you know, the situations they've been put in. But Swarzak's been really good, and hopefully, again, you know, this seems like a minor thing, and no one seems to think it's going to be something that lingers. So 
both good and bad news that we haven't had Swarzak available, but at the same time, you know, it doesn't sound like it's going to be something that's going to take too long. And considering that they haven't really had to tax the bullpen too much lately, they've had some, you know, some deeper starts and they haven't really had to use a bunch of guys with days off and things like that. Overall, it's worked out really well. Um, Dan B. Swanson missed a couple games with a sore quad, uh, but he was back in the lineup today. Did not look particularly great, but it's worth noting that the game where he was quote-unquote hurt, he hit two home runs. So I don't think it was an issue of his quad bothering him that he wasn't particularly good today. Um, but instead more just kind of just didn't have a great game. Uh, you, are, is that something you're concerned? Cause I know quad, quad injuries can be one of those ones that can be a little bit tricky and you kind of even give them time. So if you are going to get one of those sore quads, it seems like a good time to have it. Yeah. And you know, I know there was some frustration and disappointment that Dansby didn't make the all-star game and, and with a couple other guys on the roster too. But I mean, me personally, as cool as it is to see him out there on, on Tuesday night, I'm perfectly fine with these guys getting four days off to rest uh, especially when they're going to open up on the road on the West Coast in San Diego. Um, so, yeah, it can be a tricky thing, but hopefully getting those two days off, he was out there today, and, and then he'll get the aforementioned uh, next four or five days off with the break. Hopefully he gets back to 100% because he uh, is obviously had such a big first half and a breakout year, and anytime he does get injured, you hold your breath just a little bit because he's had the injury history since coming up. But, um, but no, I think I think the fact that he was out there today was encouraging. And again, you just give him some rest and some treatment and um, get him ready for the second half. Yeah, and it's worth, I mean, the the, the, in, the injury issues with him that would be far more concerning is if, like, his wrist was bothering him, right? Absolutely. Like, that, if it was a wrist thing, because then you never know, like, is does he have the same issues? It's, is it Was there an overriding problem that he's not propping back up again? But with a quad, I mean, you, those types of muscular and injuries and things like that, they, they, they range from they don't really bother people at all for long term or they can be a, a season long thing. So hopefully this is the, the case where the, he, it sounded like he wanted to be back out there right away, but the Braves were being cautious and I'm glad that they were, that they, they have the roster depth right now that they can sit a guy like Dansby and be like, look, we can just put Camargo out there or we can, you know, we can move the roster around a little bit and it's not going to really be a big, a big drop off. So overall really good uh, sign for in that regard that he was out there today. Um, the big news for today, uh, and one that I've honestly have some minor league writers that are being borderline insufferable right now, <laughs> is, is, uh, Makai Backstrom signed, uh, today. He was the, like, I think the 18th round pick, or definitely yeah, the teens. 18. Um, yeah, 18th round pick, a guy that a lot of us like. I will say that Matt, Garov, and Garrett probably like him more than I do. Uh, I think they probably would have drafted this guy in the second round if they had the opportunity. Big time fools. <laughs> um, you know, they're, they're and Makai's been honestly been great. You know, he's been having a lot of fun with the whole process. It's, it's a it's a difficult decision for him because he was kind of a first round talent coming into the kind of the draft season, but didn't have the greatest season. Sounds like he was having a vision issue, which was has been corrected, and now it's kind of one of those you draft him and give him a decent size bonus, maybe not that first or second round bonus, and you might have a real player on your hands. Uh, any th- any thoughts on Makai? I know you've been kind of cursory cursely aware of kind of what's going on. Yeah. You know, I, I trust you and I trust all of our minor league guys who are great. And if, you know, for everyone listening, if you aren't listening to road to Atlanta, make sure you check that out too, because it's the shameless plug. Such a, you like that? Yeah, there you go. Um, but you know, uh, everybody who follows along and knows things more than I do that they, they all are enamored with his upside. And again, you're talking about an 18th round pick here. It's not like you're, you know, if, if in five years he doesn't pin out, it's not like you just missed on a, a top five exactly. pick of the draft here. So um, again, it, it kind of goes in hand with what we, what we talked about after the Braves wrapped up their draft that they early on, they took a couple guys who they might be able to, to underslot so they could, uh, overpay on on some prep talent later in the draft and that's what they've done i know a couple people have said this kind of really puts the the cherry on top of what looks to be a pretty strong draft class and again with all things we we won't have any idea what this class looks like for three four five years but um it was a nice to to get him done before the deadline here that's upcoming and um and add yet another promising young talent into the system yeah and it's i mean i'm probably gonna be asked who else hasn't signed it's I feel fairly confident, especially since it's Backstrom, that it, he's not going to be signing for like, you know, $150,000, $175,000 or anything like that. The majority of the, if, if not all of the bonus pool that was left is now gone. So the guys who are left, and there's not a, a ton of guys that we had any realistic expectations of signing from that, from the groups of guys. And the Braves have signed well over, I'm pretty sure it's well over 75% of the class. 
of their entire class, which is good news because they have a lot. They have a lot of guys, a lot of lottery ticket types, a lot of guys who are really young, and there's no telling what, the, what ends up happening down the road. But they they drafted a bunch of athleticism on days two and three. On day one, went a bit safe, but again, Braden Shoemaker's performing really well for Rome. Shea Langlier's a lot of good reports, even though the results haven't been there. Bo Phillips sounds like he's on. He's starting to hit too. So. It's a fun draft class. It's a very interesting one because it's so different from the like the Brian Bridges high upside prep talent. You know, grab those grab those prep arms without fear because you know they were so good at identifying the ones that were going to be good. Um, so we're kind of getting used to that. <laughs> I will say that I, a few of the minor league guys they're still not particularly happy about how things went early on in the draft. But I watching some of these guys now that I've had a chance to see them in pro ball, there's a lot to like about some of these guys too. This particularly Shoemake, who we thought was, was going to be an underslot guy, but now he's like hitting 400 over his first 15 games in pro ball, and he, mm. he's really hitting the ball hard. So it's kind of hard to be upset about him signing him at slot if he's just going to continue to produce. So overall, really fun. It was a fun day. Fun day. Um, again, Backstrom's been really funny. Apparently we have to get him a fruit basket now. <laughs> I saw that, yeah. Yeah, he uh, seems like a great kid. Oh yeah, really, really fun, really fun guy, and it seems like he's kind of enjoying the process. And it was a hard decision for him because he could have gone to college and in a couple of years been, you know, assuming he the talent, you know, kind of plays out the way it could have, he could have been a, a first day guy and he would have made more money. But he made the decision to, you know, take the money and take his chances in the pros, and we're excited to have him in the organization. Um, Ender Enciarte is still rehabbing, and you know the 0 for four with ground like a grounded into a double play and two strikeouts every game is. Pretty close to what we've been seeing. Yeah. Um, uh, Kevin Gaussman's also uh, rehabbing. He was down in the GCL, and no, I'm sorry, he was in Florida. I might yeah. be just wrong about. It. Yeah, he was in Florida. So we'll kind of get to Gaussman in a second because we'll talk a bit about the rotation going forward in the second half because that's going to be kind of a an important topic, I think. But what what do you think is going to happen with Ender? Is he even going to play with the Braves again? I feel like they're just going to extend his rehab stand out as long as humanly possible. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of the big question out there right now. What do they do with Ender, who, with his flaws, I mean, no one's going to come out and say they, you know, they have to move heaven and earth in order to get this guy a roster spot, but he has plenty of value. Everyone knows what he brings defensively. You know, he, there's a reason he's been a successful big leaguer for five or six seasons now. Um, what do they do with him? I don't know. I mean, if there's an injury, I think that's the obvious one. It'll be interesting if, if somebody does have to go on the DL, how quickly they, they kind of ramp up Ender's rehab, uh, because they suddenly That'd need That'd be someone. hilarious. All but of a sudden then, he's, in, he's in Gwinnett the next day or something. Right. Yeah. Amazingly ready to go. But at the same time, you, you also have Adam Duvall who hit another home run today. Uh, I mean, there, there's, there's options here. And the way, as you said, the early results, now he hasn't really swung a bat in, in about a month and a half. So there's going to be some rust. It's going to take some time for him to get right. But as you said, I, as far as, as rehabbing him goes, I'm not sure you can just keep him down in the minor leagues forever until the rosters expand in, expand in September. So um, I, I guess it's not the worst thing in the world, knowing you have a gold glover getting up to speed in the minor leagues. But as of today – Unless they're going to trim the bullpen down to seven guys, which they don't seem likely to do, just given that some of the starters are having trouble going deep into games, you know, you're certainly not getting rid of, of Charlie Culberson or Matt Joyce. I guess you could consider sending Johan Kamarga down to the minors to get him right, but then you're losing probably your, your most versatile infielder, and obviously they're rolling with the two catchers. So unless they're going to trim the bullpen down, which just doesn't seem very likely to me at this point, I, I'm really not sure what they're going to do. Do you have any thoughts on that? It, I have thought for a while that they were going to move him before the deadline, and the rationale is just that the, the he is a very valuable player defensively. He's very good. His kind of second half hitting prowess is kind of a, a meme at this point, but it's it's there. You know, for whatever reason, in the second half, he tend, he tends to hit better. And a guy that's been around for a long time seems to be a really good clubhouse guy too. I just think that this particular Braves team right now is better when he isn't in the starting lineup. It's worth mentioning that defensively, the drop-off has been real. I mean, Austin's been improving, and so is Acuna in center, but you can't really replace what Ender is defensively in center field. And there's upside to having him you know, playing for the Braves, but losing one of those bats and replacing it with Enders, we, we saw at the beginning of the season what that looked like, where at the bottom of the, bottom of the order, it just looked like nothing ever happened because mm-hmm. it was slow, slow rollers a second and here comes the pitcher. Yeah. And 
you know, that, that just killed innings for us. And what we've seen from this team for what, up two months now is that they just keep rolling over the lineup and just, they constantly hit. There's no free outs in the lineup. When you have Ozzy Albies betting eighth and he's hitting like 285 now and he's getting, and he's getting hot, that, that's a fun team to watch and it's a really hard team to pitch to. Whereas a team with Ender on it, you know, maybe you can go to some spots in the lineup and you'll get some free outs to kind of get yourself out of some situations. And, that's tough because the contract is really good. He has a track record of production, particularly defensively, but again, some with the bat too. There are going to be teams that maybe need a guy like that, that the Bra- and the Braves just don't need him right yeah. now. And if you can get some real value for him, then why not? You can talk to other contenders. You can be kind of – that's be a piece that you can sell. You don't have to necessarily do it for a piece. You know, the, 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 the tweets I always get are, why don't we just trade him to the Giants? And, you know, they'll send us, you know, the relievers that we want. But I think that's almost thinking too small because, I mean, the Giants are probably wanting to, you know, get young assets and mm-hmm. ender, Ender's a lot of things, but he's not that. Yeah. What, what instead they would probably want to do is, you know, talk to a contender and see if they have some some young pieces that they can help maybe low minors guys that they could stock up the, the, the minor leagues with rather than just going to like one of the seven sellers and be like, hey, we got Ender. You know, I'm sure they'll have those conversations, but you don't even have to think that way with Ender because he might just be a piece that you can sell off while also adding to your club. That's kind of where my general thought process is. Yeah, you know, it's funny. For years now, as they've kind of figured out, and in the last maybe two years with Acuna coming up, you kind of wonder if, you know, and Acuna, of course, was a center fielder in the minors, and that's probably his his best position moving forward. You know, the Mets are the team, to me, that are just so bad defensively. You think about New York and, and their need for a reliable center fielder. They kind of do piecework right now for, for center field defense. Now, you know, interdivision trades are kind of weird, and I have no idea what the Mets think of Ender, but you talk about teams that, at least on paper, make sense as trade partners. They, they do, but again, as you, there's, there's many, many layers to this, and, and not to go too deep into the which team is going to acquire Ender and Ciarte if, if he's going to get moved. Um, you know, I think of all the teams that kind of make sense. You mentioned the Giants. I mean, I think the Mets almost make too much sense because they need that defense so badly. They're almost like the Phillies of a year ago where, you know, lineup is okay and the pitching is pretty solid, but, but the defense is just miserable. And, and I think that's a, a real problem for them and something they're seeing that you can't just throw a bunch of hitters out there who, who can't catch the ball because for every run you score, if you give a run right back defensively the next inning, you're, you know, you, you're, you know, where are you getting? So, um, yeah, I, I don't know what they do with Ender. If if you had to, if I had to put a hundred bucks on where Ender and CRT is on August one, I think personally I would say he's still in it with Atlanta. Um, but it, but you really wouldn't have to twist my arm too much to say no. They're going to try to trade him over the next four weeks. Yeah, it's a really close call because again, this is and Anthopoulos has talked about this at length. Most recently, he has a series of a series of articles that are coming out in the AJC from Mark Radley, you know, he values roster depth a lot. And I think that what we're seeing with the guys in Gwinnett, the Duvalls and guys like that, is that he basically looks at the 40-man roster as the major league roster more or less. You just kind of, whenever you need a guy, you just kind of, you only have to bring him 30 minutes down the road. And, you know, Bruce yeah, him and, and it's not it's not it's not a dumb thing to do. Now, in Ender's case, it's a little bit, you know, he he's a guy, he's a he's a veteran guy. You don't want to necessarily just like keep him in the minors. You don't want to, you know, you don't there's a relationship that you want to be able to preserve with him, but at the same time, I don't think even Ender could look look at this current team and thinks that, you know, when he's on <laughs> it, he makes it better, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, it's, who's he going to replace? Yeah, exactly. I mean, again, the bench would make the most sense, but given the bullpen's struggles at times and they've kind of had to really piece together a lot of these bullpen appearances. They've done so successfully, but they've been able to do it because they have like eight guys that they can, you know, throw in there and make it work. So <laughs> yeah. you don't want to, you don't want to necessarily tax those guys that are already kind of playing with fire a little bit. Um, so Scott, we're, we are now at the all-star break. This team is 54 and 37, which is pretty good. Six game lead in the, in the NL East. Both. And again, the nationals are heating up. Phillies are, Hanging around. What's your level of optimism, just just from the division perspective? First, kind of what's your they're, they're, the Braves are pretty clear favorites to win the East, and nothing too much to worry about. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, it's it's a six game lead, which is a lead, but it's also not that big of a lead, especially when you have I think 
nine games left with the Phillies, and I think they have 12 games left with the Nationals, which is which is a little bit of a concern. Uh, maybe maybe it's nine. I, it's either three or four series remaining. But yeah, I mean, I think as of today, I, I picked the Braves to win the East. I think very worst case scenario, uh, they get a wild card spot. But yeah, I think they win the div- the division for a second year in a row. Um, it was a great. I, I think it was Dave O'Brien who tweeted out today that the Nationals are 21 and nine over the last 30 days, which is tied with the Braves for the best record in baseball. So um, the fact that the Nats have gone on this crazy run and they've, they've done a good job, they're beating up on the Royals and the Tigers and the Marlins, teams that you should beat, the fact that they've gone 21-9 and nine and they haven't made up a single game in the standings has to be a little deflating for them. So um, I, I'm with you. I think personally I've thought for a while now that the Nationals are the bigger threat than the Phillies. I don't know how you feel about that, but uh, with any time you have a rotation of Strasburg, uh, Scherzer and Corbin, who are all having great years. I think their their bullpen is slowly but surely getting better, and then they have a, a good but not great lineup, but certainly a passable lineup. Um, I think they are more of a threat than the Phillies, who, uh, honestly, I, I think the Phillies are, are fortunate at this point in the year to be four games above 500. Their, their pitching staff has been really bad. The lineup is not nearly as good as what people thought. I think in baseball, they're like 18th in WRC Plus as a team, uh, which is pretty astounding when you consider the names they added last winter. So um, I think I think the Phillies are, are going to be there at the end of the year, and, and obviously the Nationals will be too. Um, but, yeah, I think with the six-game lead and, and as this team, really it seems like every week the Braves get a little bit better. I was talking to somebody about that the other day, and it seems like every week this team is just a little bit better than the week before, um, whereas the Phillies seem to be doing the opposite. And, and I think the Nationals are doing are a little bit more on the Braves' trajectory than than Phillies. So. Um, yeah, I don't see, unless there would just be a crazy run of injuries, I, I think the Braves win the division again. What about you? I think so, too. I agree with you that the Nationals at this point are the the, the real problems for in terms of amongst those teams that are like going to be challenging for the Braves for the title. The Phillies just, they, they have gotten better defensively, but there's still like times you just watch these games and you're like, what is going on with this fielding situation? You know, that, that it's not quite as bad as last year where it felt like they had six first basemen playing various <laughs> positions around their house at, yeah. in, in their field, but it's still not great. You know, the thing about the Phillies is, you know, the guys that they acquired haven't really played that poorly. You know what I mean? Like Harper hasn't been awesome, but he's been fine. Real yeah. Muto's been real Muto. He's basically the same guy. And, you know, Segura's been playing well. It's just that the rest of the lineup's been very meh and the pitching staff's been terrible. It's one more thing worth noting is that Nola pitched really well today. Uh, and he pitched really well against us this past week, which we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, shutting down this lineup the way he did is n- no small task. And no. he, and, and he almost no hit the, he, he was carrying a no hitter at least through the sixth inning, I think, today against the Mets, which is, you know, a little bit less of a challenge, I would imagine. But the, the Nationals are interesting to me just because in terms of a mat, on a matchup perspective, I don't feel like the Nationals are particularly well equipped to just take like, seven of nine games or whatever from the Braves in head-to-head matchups because the Braves' offense is so good. You're only going to get so much value from your starters against the Braves because some of these guys are going to get you. You know what I mean? You're you're not. It's going to be tough to get, you know, those one and two run games against the Braves, whereas, you know, you might be able to suppress them a bit, but it feels like that, that, that matchup feels at best even, even when the, the Nationals are playing their game. Mm-hmm. Um so it's going to be tough for them, I think, to make up ground, especially when you have the Phillies, too, who have have a knack for kind of stealing games here and there, too, because they're going to have lots of head-to-head matchups between those two teams. It feels like there's going to be a, enough beating up of each other in the division that it's going to be hard to overcome a six-game lead for me. Um, you know, I, I think the Nationals are definitely a better team than the Phillies, but, I mean, the, guy, the Phillies have guys like, you know, Harper and Reese Hoskins who just out of nowhere can just make it make a game, you know, can steal games from you just because they have that, that kind of power and that kind of ability. But overall, you know, I, I see the Braves. I don't know if this is like – we're not going to see like the Braves running away with this division with like a 15-game lead or anything. No, um, no. No, I don't think that's happening. The, the, the Nationals are good enough. The Phillies are good enough to kind of hang around a bit. But the, the Braves had that crazy run, and they had a really tough schedule in June. Whereas, you know, the Nationals did what they did against, you know, some less than good competition. We'll see if the, the Nationals can continue to beat high-level competition, whereas the Braves, I mean, there's some Royals matchups coming up. We'll get more of the Mets, maybe some more of the Marlins thrown in there. A little bit easier lineup. I, I say easy as though this game wasn't, you know, a rule. This game today wasn't <laughs> it wasn't uh, a taxing one. But, you know, overall, I, I, I like the Braves' chances. 
and again, I, I feel like this margin feels about right at the end of the year for me. Like it just, that's kind of where I feel like yeah. it will end up. But, and which is kind of surprising because I, um, I thought the Nationals were going to be a little bit better and I thought the Phillies were going to be significantly better than they are. I thought it was going to be a really close race. Yeah. Uh, and well, I, I picked the Nationals to win the division. I mean, I say that and everyone kind of gave me crap for it, but I truly think if this team plays to their potential, they're just as good as the Braves. Now, again, I don't want to sit here and, and give too much credit to the Nationals. There's a reason the Braves are six games ahead of them. The Braves are really good. They're finding ways to win games. And I think, too, because of all the talent that's already in the organization and, and the ability to go out and add a player or two over the next four weeks, um, as, you know, as we said, I think the Braves do win the division, but, uh, the Nationals are our legitimate team. I, I think they're far more likely as of what is today, July 7th. Um, I think they're far more likely to, to be there at the end of the year, really pushing the Braves than, than the Phillies will. Well, yeah. And it's worth noting too, on the flip side with the Nationals, if they don't get big seasons from Juan Soto and Anthony Rendon, that could be a problem for them in the second half because yeah. the, 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 the offensively, if they don't have both those guys really cooking, that they become much less scary, you know. Mm-hmm. But but you know, at the moment those guys are among the better hitters in baseball, so that's, that that works out well for them at least in terms of uh you know keeping things interesting. Um, I just wanted to ask this before we kind of go into our first ad break, which is you know we're we're doing this roundtable at Talking Chop, uh, and you're going to be hearing I think those will come out either Tuesday or Thursday or something like that, but we're doing a who are your offensive MVPs and your least, you know, and the guys who are really surprising or disappointing. So I wanted to ask you kind of a little bit of a preview of that. Uh, who's your, who's your MVP for the first half and who's your LVP, least valuable player for the first half? Hmm. Um, you know, I picked, I've already written my little blurb for it. Now I think who's the MVP. I think Freddie Freeman is the obvious answer. Would you agree with that? I actually have another name and I actually put it's mine funny. on that. So I do too. Uh, so I, I'm going to go, and maybe this is your guy, but I'm, I picked Mike Soroka. Um, See, it's a strong choice. Not the name I picked, but I mean, you're, you're okay, talking, well, to, you're talking so, to the right guy to convince of this. So. so not to, you know, not to overlook Freddie. Sure. The, the correct answer to this question is probably Freddie Freeman. Um, I'm going to say Mike Soroka just because nothing from Freddie, but you think about the lineup one through eight, it's been incredibly good. Now, if you take him out of that lineup, don't get me wrong, the Braves are far less of a good team, far less of an impactful lineup without Freddie. Um, I'm, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying with Soroka is, is can you imagine this rotation as bad as it's been without Soroka's oh, first time? Yeah, I agree. I, I agree with that. That's kind of where I went of, of the, if you had to remove one player from the team, who's the, or if you could only protect one player from the roster that wasn't getting removed, I think I'd pick Soroka just because, at least based on the first half, because of how good he was. You know, I think what did he end up? Ten of his fifteen starts in the first half, he allowed one run or less uh, in you know sixty six percent of his starts. That that's incredible for a twenty one year old. Of course, he was named to the All Star team. Uh, works deep into games, which is not something that a lot of the Brave starters have done this year. You think about the struggles of Mike Voltanevich and Kevin Gosman. Um, you know, you never really know which Julio Tehran is going to show up. Uh, Max Fried has given a little bit of a roller coaster this year, so. Um, I think Freddie is probably the uh, obvious answer for MVP, but for for today's purposes, I'll say that Mike Soroka is the MVP of the team just because he has shined in an area where there's been uh, not nearly as many bright spots as as what the lineup has been. Uh, I, I agree that it is it is. I would not fault anyone for saying Freddie Freeman. I mean, the guy has a 149 WRC plus coming into today's game in the first half, which is legitimately crazy. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, has already matched his home run total from last year at 23 home runs and you know 68 RBIs. There's the guy does everything well. He's, he's one of the best hitters in baseball. If it wasn't for Bellinger and Yelich having the years that they're having, Freddie would be getting more MVP league wide. Mm-hmm. Uh, conversation, um, you know, and with Yelich's back injury and, you know, Bellinger's history of all of a sudden turning into a tomato, you know, it's, we're a pumpkin rather, whatever fruit you want, fruit vegetable <laughs> you want to choose, uh, you know, it, it's possible that he could be in the running for that again. And I would have no problems with it, but picking that. I actually picked Ronald Acuna Jr. for a couple reasons. Uh, and again, you're talking to the right guy to try to convince of Mike Soroka because my love for him has been well documented for the past several yeah. years. But, <laughs> yeah. um, the issue I have is that what Ronnie does on a day-to-day basis keeps innings going and it shows his overall production on the base paths, 
you know, obviously the power production, what he's just been able to do as an all-around player. He leads this team in war. It's not Freddie. Now, there's some some of that has to do, at least in terms of Fangraphs war. I actually haven't looked at Baseball Reference, but um, and part of that's because it's a positional adjustment that he's playing center field more and Freddie's playing first base and doesn't get as much love as he should for the lead defense he plays over at first base, but. Even when Ronnie has a bad game, he'll always like at least draw a walk in a game or, you know, break up a ground, a double play where, you know, he beats the throw to first because he's just so fast. And every time he's on base, he just causes havoc. You know, it's, it's not, it's not always like the, the big time home runs and, you know, the, the big highlight reel stuff, but he's always taking extra bases on ground balls. He's always like scoring from first, scoring from second on balls he probably shouldn't be able to score from, from in those scenarios. He does all, so many things well and, it was a stark difference when you put him in leadoff, giving him the most at-bats on the team, and all of a sudden the team starts really singing. Now, there's a lot of reasons why that started going better, you know, kind of putting guys in better positions all throughout the lineup. Sure. But, but having him there, it, it just feels like he's kind of the catalyst that kind of gets the offense moving, even when it's not revolving around him. There are games where he just wins by himself because he's so mm-hmm. talented, but there's also games where he kind of kept things going just because of the kind of player he is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that the good news for, for the Braves, and it makes it fun for guys like you and I who, who write about this team and do podcasts, is there's numerous legitimate MVP candidates that we can discuss. It's not, oh, yeah, it's obviously this guy, or, oh, yeah, it's not this guy. And I think it speaks to the depth of this roster that after, you know, 60% of the season that they have the lead that they have in the division, and they have the, uh, a pretty comfortable – one thing we haven't talked about is we hit the break. I mean – they are pretty comfortably the second best uh, record in the National League right now, which yep. is big. I, I don't think they're going to catch the Dodgers, who are like six or seven ahead. And LA, just I mean, you look at their team. You talk about the Braves having a good roster. The Dodgers are just ridiculous this year, um, and their division is pretty uh, is pretty average. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that the fact that we're, we're talking and having this conversation, and, and then the Braves are on their way towards assuming they hold on. That they would have home field advantage in the, in the first round. And not only that, but avoid the Dodgers for seemingly the first time in forever in that first round, um, is really something to keep an eye on because this team, you, you always want home field advantage in the playoffs. Even if during the year you're better on the road, I think you just naturally feel more comfortable at home, uh, especially with a younger team like this one. Um, so it's, it's something to keep an eye on to be sure. Yeah, and I actually wonder how much work the Braves are doing on the Cubs right now in terms of like really analyzing and breaking down all their stuff throughout the next couple months because, again, they feel pretty comfortably in that second spot. If you believe that the Cubs are kind of comfortable favorites in the NL Central, which you know is a little bit iffy when you have the Brewers that seemingly always hang around and do something in the second half. Yeah, but that's know, a weird division. It, yeah, when the Pirates are the worst team in that division, and they're pretty good. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah that, I mean, that, the difference between first and last is four and a half games right now. And that's wild. That's wild to me. I, mean, I understand it's only the all-star break, but again, anyone could make a run in that, anyone can make a run in that division, but you've played against that division well as the Braves and having home field advantage against a division, against those division foes that you've played pretty well against, that, 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 that would be a big thing just to be able to, you know, have a chance at a deep playoff run. Because again, anything, once you get into the playoffs, anything can happen, but the, the the later you can play the Dodgers or, <laughs> and, and maybe have something bad happen to them along the way, sure. the better. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, I mean, you start thinking about scenarios. If Sure, I mean, as good as the Dodgers are, if they have to play a short series against, uh, say, the Nationals or in the wild card, well, yeah, as good as the Dodgers are, they're going to see Scherzer twice and then probably two of Strasburg and Corbin uh in a short series i mean who wants to face who wants to face that in a short series not saying that it's going to happen there's you know there, there's still a long way to go i don't want people to be confused here but um as you said if you can at least give yourself the opportunity to not see the dodgers who have just been the team's kryptonite for six or seven years now it seems like um it, it's certainly a good thing for sure uh before we go on to the part where we kind of talk about the last week of games we're going to take a short break for a bit of an ad Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the PropG podcast. we got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. 
Questions including what are we missing when we work remotely or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, guys, and now we're back, and we're going to talk a little bit about the specifically the last the games from the last week or so. Um, some of this is going to be a little bit more of like in the last ten or eleven games type stretch, but we're going to talk a bit about some of the games that we've seen th- this past week more in more specific detail. The Braves are seven and four in their past eleven games now with the win today, and it goes without saying the offense has been pretty insane. A couple notable iffy games with the, from the offense, but overall, the, you know, out of nowhere, they just score five or six runs, and that's just kind of the reality of what it is to be a Braves fan right now, is that all of a sudden, they just score six runs and then win the game. Um, over, uh, before Sunday's game, uh, the past week, they've outscored opponents 26 to 15, uh, and again, 4 to 3 win today, you can kind of do the math from there, th- th- outscored them 30 to 18 over the past week or so. Really, really good. Um, two of the two losses that they had this week were to Aaron Nola, who looked insane in that game. And again, to to shut down this offense the way he did, yeah, he looked like the like prime Aaron Nola from last year, which not something you necessarily want to see. Uh, but it seems like he's also, he's also doing it to other division guys too. Uh, and the other one was Max Fried did not look good, man. He didn't look good in that start at all. He was like he was playing with fire throughout the whole time. I was actually a little bit surprised that they didn't score more runs off of him. Yeah, I mean, they gave up 15 hits yesterday, and the, for the Braves to lose 5-4 to four in a game, they gave up 15 hits is pretty remarkable. Yeah, and it, I mean, a lot of that was off of Freed, and you know, he just never looked comfortable. Uh, not sure if it was a heat thing, or maybe he was just getting a bit, a bit tired and then in need of a break, which is, again, it's a good time to be kind of feeling that way, because you get one uh, for the next, you know, week or so. Um, another game of note, the Braves end up winning this game comfortably, uh, by just kind of running roughshod and just catching up very quickly. But Mike Stroka had the rare bad inning where he gave up four runs. Uh, did you see where he was, like, pacing in the dugout? Like, <laughs> I'm, like, yeah. uh, I'm like, you should have scored more. You should have killed him when you had the chance because he's not going to give up anymore. Uh, yeah. And they didn't. I mean, and it's it speaks to kind of what you were talking about. He gave up four runs in that game, and people were tweeting, like, you know, here comes the regression. I knew it was coming eventually. He couldn't stay this good forever. If that's his bad start... Yeah. You take that 10 times out of 10. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, and he said, I mean, to his credit, too, I mean, they, the, I think uh, Tukey was warming up in the bullpen during the first inning because he was already up to 30 pitches, and it was a hot night. Like you said, you don't want a young pitcher going out there and, and blowing an arm out, throwing 40 however many pitches in the first inning. So, I mean, good for Mike. As you said, it's it's pretty rare. I think it was by far his worst start of the season. And even then, he had the bird, he had the bad first inning, and then he threw another, I think he, he went four and two thirds and, and then yep. he hit a hundred pitches. And, and obviously when you throw 35 in the first inning, it's going to be tough to work too deep into the game. But to his credit, after the first inning, I think he only gave up something like two or three hits and a walk, uh, which speaks a lot to his mental fortitude. I think the thing with Mike that is so impressive at age 21 is, is, you know, you don't know if he's down for nothing or if he's up for nothing or if it's, you know, game one of the world series or if it's the third game of the year. You just don't know because he's so calm, cool, and collected out there. So that was really encouraging. And, and like you said, um, the Braves lineup just just pounded uh, Zach Eflin that night and the Phillies pitching staff uh, for 12 runs. So it was nice to see the offense pick Mike up when he's been, especially early on in the year when the offense wasn't quite as good. Uh, you know, he single-handedly would win them a game with his pitching. It was nice to see the offense pick him up and, and get a win and win the series against the Phillies uh, to close out the series. Yeah, it's actually been nice this year. You and I have been covering this team for, together for a while now. Every year it felt like there was one pitcher on the staff that was not getting any run support whatsoever. Like Julio has definitely been a victim of this. Uh, Shelby Miller was famously a victim yeah. of this. Uh, that hasn't been a problem this year. You know, every yeah. once, every once in a while there'll be like a little bit of an off, off game, but it doesn't ever feel like the offense isn't ever going to be, there's, they take that guy's game off for whatever reason. You know what I mean? Like, you know, they're not going to have to win a 2-1 game most of the time. Not all the time, but most of the time. They're going to put up some runs, and if you are if you have your guy out there and he's pitching well, he's going to get the win. Yeah. Um, my uh, Keiko was excellent today. Excellent. Uh, his, his first start, he really wasn't that bad. His last start, he wasn't bad either. 
Um, it's nice to kind of see he was. It, it, this felt like vintage Keiko, you know, kind of a junk baller. You know, throws that eighty-seven mile an hour cutter, eighty-nine mile an hour fastball. You know, throws the yeah. change up, change up uh, off plate. Yeah, and and, it, and that's the formula. It's just like you know, like you get you get two cutters, you get a change up, and then the fourth pitch is usually when you make your out because it's going to be a ground ball straight to somebody. And again, looked really good. If he if he is vintage Keiko and just can do that, you know, eat up a bunch of innings, be super efficient. Like this, he could be a really big pickup for a rotation that really needs picking up. Yeah, absolutely. And you think about uh, the way that he so he makes two rehab starts, one in low A and one in double A, and then he comes up and faces a red hot Nationals team, which has been tied again tied with the Braves for the best record in baseball over the last month. But he comes up and, and pitches in Washington and then in Chicago against the Cubs, which is a, a great lineup against left-handed pitching. And then comes home, and like you said, Aaron Nola was just a little bit better than he was on Monday night, but it was a 2 nothing game, and there was only one inning where Keiko was really in trouble, and it was when, I think it was Jay Bruce kind of poked one down the line and, and scored the game's only runs. Um, you know, for him to finally kind of get a little bit of a break against the Marlins is, was nice today. And uh, the two runs that scored, of course, were on a, a Chad Sabatka fastball that just didn't get inside enough to make it 4-3 to three in the eighth. Um, you know, but he was really good. As you said, it was vintage Keuchel. Um, I think he, he recorded 22 outs and 18 of them were either ground balls or strikeouts. Uh, that's when you know he's, <laughs> that, that's a good place to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's when you know, uh, that's when you know that, that it's kind of the guy who was so valuable for the Astros. And again, you know, Chip Carey always brings it up in as much crap as we give him, you know, and in the time when everyone's trying to hit a hundred and, and just, uh, strike everybody out, it, it is kind of a, a little bit of a, a refreshing breath of air when, you know, he goes out there and throws, as you said, three or four pitches to everybody and they end up just tapping out to the shortstop or third baseman. So. Um, he was really good. His ERA is at 3.6, even after the two runs scored that once he left the game. Um, and I think that as he continues to settle in and, and get into a rhythm, he's uh, he's only going to get better. I agree. It's actually kind of funny. This Braves pitching staff has a couple unicorns, at least in terms of how the game is played right now, because throughout baseball, and I mean, if this even goes down the AAA, pitchers just give up home runs. So it's a power pitching game. And, you know, it's just kind of, you know, giving up the occasional solo shot is just the price you pay for being able to get big strikeout totals. And they have Dallas Keuchel, who is like ground ball specialist, doesn't throw the ball above Mm. 90. And then Mike Soroka, who is throwing sinkers half the time in an era where people just don't throw sinkers anymore because the hitters got so good at hitting the ball low in the zone. And is again, he has really good stuff, but he's not throwing 99 out there. He's you know low to mid 90s and doesn't give up home runs. Just doesn't give them up. He's no. like you know I think he's given up like 0.4 home runs per nine innings he's pitched or something like that. Which in this day and age, I'm pretty sure he leads the league in it right now. And that it's it's really incredible. He didn't give up home runs in the minor leagues either, so it's not like a weird statistical thing. It's just a guy that doesn't give up home runs. And if you have a guy like that in an era where people are trying to hit a lot of them, that's generally a good place to be. Yeah. Um, all right, Scott, so we're entering the quote-unquote dark period of time of the summer. We're actually not going to have Braves games for about a week, and the all-star break is upon us, but we do get to see some We do get to see some guys play that are of interest to both of us, I think. Yeah. Um, first, first we have tonight, the Futures game, uh, Ian Anderson and Christian Pache. Pache is going to be leading off for the National League team, and uh, Ian Anderson is going to be playing on, on uh, pitching in the game as well. Are you going to watch the game? Yeah, yeah, I'm excited for it. It'll be great, and especially when you know it's, it's it's a little bit of a bummer when guys aren't starting, and you're like, okay, well, I'm gonna watch and and you know just kind of wait for the Braves guys to get in there. But yeah, especially with Anderson starting, um, I, he's somebody who I haven't seen a whole bunch of just because he's been at the lower levels of the minors, obviously. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Well, considering that, I mean, he had like a one inning tune up that like they pulled him so that he could like rest for this, his futures game appearance. But before that, his previous start was playing part of a no hitter where he struck out like 14 guys. Yeah. Um, he, he, he said he looked really dialed in. You know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a fastball. It's like a legitimate 96, 97, uh, maybe a little bit higher even at times. And, you know, still throws a good, a good breaking ball. Change ups been getting better and better. It's, it's all about command with him. And that's been getting, I mean, it started off kind of atrocious that really that whole Mississippi rotation was like walking five guys a game, which was mm. bizarre to watch for a while. But he's gotten better and better. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing him against the best of the best because He's the kind of guy that has the kind of stuff that's going to get some really ugly swings. And some of these guys who are going up there hacking, hacking is like their first time on national TV. I think it could be, <laughs> it, it could be a lot of fun to watch. Um, yeah, especially when he can let it fly since he's not throwing, you know, a hundred pitches today. 
Well, yeah, and the, I'm pretty sure that the first at bat of the game, I can't remember who's home, home and away, but uh, the first at bat person he's going to go against is Wander Franco, who's the number one prospect in baseball. Yeah. Um, He's uh, going to be like a superstar. I mean, like a legitimate superstar. Yeah, he's he's basically Acuna, what he was. And except that people have been on Acuna a little bit, uh, were have been on Franco longer than they were on Acuna. He's, I mean, a top five tool talent, incredible baseball player. You know, really really fun to watch. I'm interested to see how that goes. Um, then we then we have the All Star game where we have Mike's our our my Canadian son Mike Soroka. Then we have Freddie Freeman and Ronald Acuna in the All Star game. Like. I, do you put much into kind of like performance in the game? You want to see those guys like performing well against the best of the best, or is this kind of just more of a kind of a fun distraction? And you know, you just kind of hope yeah. they just don't get hurt. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's great. I mean, I'd, I'd if if I had my choice, I'd rather see Braves there than you know, like the one token Brave, like Shelby Miller, that one year when the Braves were so terrible and had the worst record in baseball, and Shelby was like the only guy they sent. Um, yeah, it'd be fun to see Freddie and yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the dark times, right? Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it'd be great to see Freddie and Acuna since they're starting. They'll probably both get two starts. Um, I think Acuna is leading off, I believe is what, uh, Dave Roberts said and he'll be in left field. And I'm assuming, I mean, the National League lineup is just absurd. I know Christian Yelich, uh, is kind of in limbo now because of a back injury, but, um, I mean, you look at the National League lineup and it's just absurd. I mean, uh, with, with Freddie and Acuna and, and Bellinger and Josh Bell and, and Charlie Blackman, who's having a great year. I mean, one through nine, that's just a stupid lineup. So, um, yeah, yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah, Blackman might hit eighth or something in that lineup, which is like legitimately insane. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I um, OP, even in cores. I mean, I, I mean, if, if everybody could have a thousand OPS and, you know, they would do it in cores, it's just not that easy. So yeah, it's, it's pretty absurd. Yeah, he's he. Uh, uh, AL roster is also really good. Basically, any chance that I get to see Mike Trout, where I just don't get to watch him that often, you know, him being on the West Coast, you're you're closer to that watching him than I am. But I mean, it's it's watching one of the best to ever play the game, it's, and it, I don't I think it's going to go down that way. I don't know how long his career lasts, just because you never really know that sort of stuff. How a guy's body will you know Hold respond up. to being be, yeah, but you know. It, it, it is very even with the years that Bellinger and Yelich, even like guys like Acuna and you know Freddie, and there's a bunch of guys who are really good right now that are a lot of fun to watch. Then you watch Trout and you realize he's a, in a class by himself. He will be in a class by himself for a long time. You know, he just does everything well, just everything. And if I, while I have you know kind of issues with like you know because there's a fan vote whether or not like all star game appearances should be like in players contracts as an incentive because they don't really have a control over a lot of that stuff even if they play well there's guys who play well that didn't make the all star game this year there are Braves and there are non Braves who did not get in that very likely could have in you know if it was just based solely on merit but getting to watch these guys play against each other at the same time and kind of seeing the best of the best go against each other and getting to see guys that I don't get to see very often. It's always a treat for me. So while yeah. again, it's, I don't like put a ton of stock in like, you know, this guy's an 11 time all-star. It kind of tells me that he was a popular guy who probably played, played pretty well. Um, but it doesn't tell me anything beyond that. But I also enjoy these games because it, it does kind of bring me back to like those, like those mid nineties games where like, you know, those all-star games were like you were seeing like 11, Hall of Famers guaranteed. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, it's it's a lot of fun. It, it's a good time. Monday night is the home run derby too, uh, which I love that they now give a million dollars to whoever wins. Um, I love the new format too. It's been all it's all that's been good. Yeah, and with the juiced ball, I mean, you, you think about some of the guys in it who are going to crush. Again, it, it kind of sucks that that Yelich isn't going to be in it, but. Um, I mean, the way the ball is flying, it, there was a whole range of guys who, who could have done it. Um, but yeah, that, that's fun on Monday night. And you mentioned the futures game tonight. So I think, uh, you know, it's a fun, even though there's no Braves games until Friday night in San Diego, uh, it, it's a fun couple days. And, and again, uh, a chance to just kind of sit back and, and enjoy what the Braves did in the first half and, and then gear up for what should be a really fun final two and a half months. Before we move on to kind of the, the trade deadline stuff. Who's your pick in the home run derby? Blind Ooh. pick. It's a tough call. It's tough. I'm gonna. I think I picked. I think if you go on like MLB.com and pick the winner and like how many total home runs he hits, you win like two hundred fifty thousand. And in that, I picked Pete Alonso. Uh, so I'll go with Pete. As much as it would be unfun to see a Mets player win, um, I'll take Pete Alonso beats. 
like Jock Peterson, I think, is somebody who could just let it fly. So I'll say Pete Alonso over Jock. What about you? Those are both really good picks. I, I picked Alonso too. Uh, just that guy accidentally hits home runs. It feels yeah. his rookie year this year feels like judges. You know what I mean? Just like yeah, except that, ex- except except he's not playing in Yankee Stadium. You know what I mean? Like he's just flicking balls out of everywhere. Yeah. It's like, like he's like, you know, there's no such thing as a routine fly ball with that guy. Uh, and, you know, and he doesn't have, to, more importantly, he doesn't have to change anything about his swing or his approach yeah. to, to be geared to be great in that, in that format. Um, yeah. he's kind of like I, Evan Gaddis. Like, remember like Gaddis? I mean, not, not to compare the two guys because <laughs> Alonzo has a little bit of a better long-term outlook, but I mean, you just remember seeing Gaddis and just the bat looked so small when he was holding it because he's such a big, powerful dude. Uh, you know, you just see Alonzo swing, and, and like you said, he hits a fly ball, and then all of a sudden it's eight rows deep into left field. And you go, holy smokes, this guy's crazy power. So, yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I would love to see Acuna make a run, but Acuna, Acuna can hit some tape measure shots, but I don't know if he's necessarily the guy that's going to hit a, a a ton of them to where, like, he'll beat a guy that, like, you know, is kind of built to, you know, hit put up 15-plus yeah. home runs. You know what I mean? I think he, I think he, I think he won't be – it'll be a perfectly respectful showing. Uh, depends on who he's matched up against. Is he matched up against Vladdy Jr.? Because that's kind of a tough uh, matchup too. Josh, Josh Bell, which is not much easier. No, it's not. It's not much easier. But again, you know, it's not. It's not really a a, a stage that Josh has you know a ton of experience on too. So maybe Acuna gets out of the first round. But ultimately, I mean, there, there's no easy outs in the home run derby. Let's just be honest about no. it. <laughs> um, uh, but I, I think Alonso is probably a, a a very good pick. But there's a lot of guys who could just go wild. Uh, and I really hope it's one of those memorable ones because I mean, like, there's been some re- home run derbies recently where you've just seen guys put on real shows. Uh, I hope it's not one of those situations where all of a sudden those guys forget how to hit for the second half after <laughs> they do it. Uh, but, yeah, let's hope uh, not. That'd be really yeah, we, bad. For the yeah, we've seen well, Josh Hamilton says hi. Uh, you know, he yeah. put on the he put on that sh- he put on that show in you know the in the All Star game in the home run derby, and you know I don't think he hit again. So. No. No. Um, all right, uh, so this is running a little bit long, so we'll go ahead and just talk about the the trade deadline. It's coming up. We got we we're a month less than a month away now, and I know you're probably getting the questions about the deadline as much as I am. It's kind of who the Braves are going to get, who's available, which prospects could probably get traded away. I know you had some thoughts that you got got down on paper, so I'm going to let you share with those, and I'm going to share mine at the end there. Yeah, I think you know we're still a little ways away. I think realistically, teams use these next four or five days to really evaluate. I think at this point there's seven obvious sellers, Baltimore, Detroit, Kansas City, Seattle, and Toronto in the in the American League, and then Miami and San Francisco in the National. Um, but then if you do the math and you say, okay, let's say there's seven teams who are for sure selling and then a couple others over the next few weeks will fall off and start to sell – then you realize you have about 10 teams that are selling and you have in theory close to 20 who could be buying. I think there's just such a big middle class in baseball this year. There's only a couple of super teams and then everybody else is right in the middle. Again, we talked about the NL Central. I mean, the Reds are four games back or first place as we hit the break. Um, but they're also in last place. So, uh, th- there's a wide range of people. I think the, 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 most common names that are coming up. And uh, there is a good list that I found if you're interested, because obviously Eric and I aren't going to be able to go over all 50 names of players who could be traded over the next month. But uh, as much you know, as I we think... threaten, as much as we threaten Brad, <laughs> we're yeah, not actually going right. to do that. Yeah, we'll be here another two hours. I mean, the, the obvious names, um, as far as like the rental starters guys who are going to be free agents here in two months is Madison Bumgarner and Zach Wheeler. I'm not entirely sure the Mets in, uh, with new, or with a new front office, they're necessarily going to sell after making all their moves to win. But uh, I think Zach Wheeler is a guy who needs a change of scenery. Maybe not quite to the level of like Justin Verlander getting out of Detroit to Houston a few years ago, but he has the stuff. I think he's just in a, in a bad environment right now. Um, and, and then Bumgarner. Whether you love the guy or you aren't as enamored with him, I, I think his postseason experience does does speak for itself. But this is not the same guy in 2012 who, you know, had like the .087 ERA over four starts uh, on the way to the World Series. So um, those guys, despite what, despite what some fans seem to think that if the Braves sign or got Mad Bum, like they're instant like World Series favorites, it's yeah. not the it's not the same guy. I get questions about him all the time. Yeah, me too. And, and that's not to say he wouldn't help the Braves. I mean, you know, people say, oh, well, he has a four ERA. Well, he, he's a little more consistent than some of the other options. And I, I think he's somebody you would at least trust in with a playoff start. 
Um, but he, as you said, he's not a guy who you add him and all of a sudden, you know, you're not adding Max Scherzer, right? Where you're like, oh my God, I, you talk about guys who can single handedly win you a short playoff series. I'm just not sure that Bumgarner's at that level. Maybe whoever gets him, he does morph into his superhuman, uh, power in the, in the playoffs and, and throws two shutouts and, and, and advances a team by himself to the NL, uh, NLCS. But, um, but somebody who will be certainly talked about a bunch. Um, moving on, and, and there are a few other rental starters out there, guys who are going to be free agents, but those are probably the two main ones. Then you get into the guys who are signed for another year and a half, uh, the Marcus Stroman types, who I, I'm a fan of. It sounds like there might be some bad blood there with Anthopolis and Toronto. I don't know if there's more to that or not. Uh, Mike Miner, old friend Mike Miner, who was always that would, kind of that, – that, that would be wild if that yeah, happened. full circle. Yeah, he yeah. was always a, a talking chop favorite and – um, always thought it was a little weird how the Braves just kind of kicked him to the curb. And I know he had the injuries and the shoulder problems, but, um, minor for those who don't know is having a phenomenal season with, with the Rangers and the guy who signed for a year and a half. So if you, if you are going to give up a prospect, I've always, I'm of the belief that if you are going to give up a legitimate prospect, you're going to want a guy who you're going to have for more than two months plus the playoffs. I agree. Um, and then, and then finally, you know, there's, there's again, there's a million names out there. Matthew Boyd of the Tigers is somebody who signed for another three and a half years. Uh, somebody who's having a bit of a breakout season is a little bit on the younger end. Um, but with the Tigers being at least a couple years away from contending, there's been talk that, um, he, he could be moved. And, um, I think the Braves had a scout at the Tigers games this past weekend. And I think Boyd struck out, uh, 12, 12 batters on Friday or whatever day it was. So, um, naturally those are names. Um, and then of course the relievers. We've talked many times. There's a million relievers out there. Uh, Will Smith is a Georgia guy. Will Smith, the Giants reliever, um, a guy who is a, a legitimate closer, a left-handed option guy who could be a real weapon in the playoffs. Uh, and then going on, it, basically, if you want to know which relievers could be of, of interest, just look at the bad teams, those seven or eight teams that we just That's listed. Pretty much it, yep. And look at their closer or their eighth inning guy and say, okay, these guys are more than likely available unless they're super young and controlled for five or six years. Yeah, I, I think you've nailed the, the, the big names. You know, there, there's going to be a lot of minor names that are going to be floating around. And I'm curious to what teams like Texas and the Royals are going to do, you know, because what pieces they choose to sell off. I mean, are, I mean, the, the Royals are far away, but I don't think anything that the Royals have done in terms of how they've gone about their rebuild and kind of going into, you know, their, their struggles has made any sense to me. It was like the writing was on the wall three years ago. And they probably should have made moves, and they didn't. And it's the same regime that's in place. So what are they going to do with some of their young guys? And, you know, same thing with Texas where, I mean, they're five games above 500 right now, but they're also nine games back in an AL West, which is kind of a nightmare uh, for any team. You know, basically it's Seattle, who I'm pretty sure would trade anyone that's not nailed down. But, you know, for the price on some of the guys that you'd want, maybe like Mitch Hanniger or, you know, the other guys, you might be a little bit prohibitive. The the guys that everyone talks about that they just you know they they just look at their a, a a bad team and they go well we want your ace or anything like that I mean if there's a bunch of years of control they're probably just not going to move that guy no. and it's just not going to happen you know like yes Toronto is not having a good year they're not going to trade Vladdy Jr it's just not going to happen <laughs> yeah you know and you know they they just kind of start eyeing those teams top prospects or young guys and that's a that's a tough sell. So what you're going to probably see from the Braves, particularly since they've already added Dallas Keuchel this year, which, you know, between that and what you would hope to get from your, you know, your starting pitching prospects who have been kind of hit and miss this year, is that I don't see a, a big move for a starting pitcher as super likely, um, particularly with what, you know, with in Mad Bum's case, he has this no trade clause where he basically targeted every contender out there and put their names on it. So that way yeah. he can like, you know, try, he can like negotiate extensions that way. Yeah, it's pretty smart, actually, on his part. Um, yeah, it's, I, it took me a long time to come around on it, but you know, if, if he seems like if he's perfectly content with like, hey, you know what, if I, if I need to stay in San Francisco and you know either get a qualifying offer or then move on and you know negotiate my deal myself, that's fine. But if you want to move me, you know, I'm going to go where I want to go. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's actually it was actually it was actually a pretty smart thing. Um, I am skeptical that the Mets would be making any deals, and I understand that there's some pieces that make sense to like going to and from there. But there just seems to be, and I don't know what, this isn't unique to the NL East, right? But like the Marlins and the Mets have been historically very hesitant to try to make the Braves better. I'm not really sure what that meant, what that means for what the Marlins did. I mean, the Phillies really paid a premium to get Real Muto, right? 
Mm-hmm. And I think that was like the only way to get, make that deal work is to pay a real premium. And I don't know if necessarily Zach Wheeler with his injury history and his up and down, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like his, his up and down career, especially with injuries and just kind of not really knowing what, what version of him you're going to get. Uh, I think it would be wild if they got Mike Miner though. Uh, I actually hadn't considered that because I mean the, the, the Rangers have been performing pretty well, but again, in that division and kind of where they are as a team, it'd be, I'd be pretty surprised if they yeah. weren't. They didn't and the Rangers are a pretty smart. I mean, you talk about front offices being smart and realizing there's more than just the day ahead of them. I, I think the Rangers have a really smart and forward thinking front office, whereas the Mets just seem like they're a total mess. And I mean, there, there was, uh, granted it's the New York media, but like a, a reporter for SNY was reporting the Mets were scouting. I think it was the Tigers relievers because they want to add them to their bullpen. And it's like Mets, uh, maybe, I mean, again, it's, <laughs> it's only the first week of July. Nobody's really out of it with the exception of a handful of teams. But I mean, if the Mets internally really think they're going to overcome three good teams, one really good team with the Braves and they're, you know, 12 games back or whatever they are. I, I just, uh, I guess the Mets could surprise us as they, as they tend to do, but um, I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. That, that would be the surprise to end all surprises that all of a sudden the Mets go on a tear and go wild, but I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, especially since there seems to be so much discord being like, you know, Callaway, the, their manager is like, you know, like threatening, Media members, and then he's getting in a fight. He's getting in a fight with their GM recently. Well, and there was a report, yeah, that the GM uh, Brody Van Wagenen was like screaming at the coaches after the loss on Saturday night, or something like that. I mean, it's just a dumpster fire right now. Yeah, I, I was a little bit optimistic because it seemed like they made some they made some pretty smart moves this off season. They some did. of them, some some of them, they certainly got the right guys. I don't think taking on Robinson Cano or at least the corpse of him and his you know the rest of his contract was necessarily the best idea. But you know they made they made some smart signings and it felt like that they could have had a chance at something. But it's, it turns out you know the Mets are going to Mets. That's just what they're going to do. Yeah. And, you know, apparently once you get into that Mets, that, that building in the, <laughs> at, you know, Mets HQ, you know, there's some sort of curse that gets put down on you and things go wild. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to share before we let everyone go? Uh, no, I think I'm, I'm good. I'll be on, uh, I'll be on recap duties, uh, when the team is in San Diego, cause those games don't start until like 10 o'clock, uh, or at least the Friday night game isn't until 10 Eastern. I think the Saturday night game is 8 Eastern, which isn't as bad for, for you East Coasters, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a fun first half. It, it flew by. I don't know about you, but it felt like the first half just flew by. Um, I mean, it seems like just yesterday we were here previewing the lineup and the rotation and all that with Brad. So uh, a fun first half. And as you mentioned earlier, we'll have the roundtable questions uh, on the site this week. And, of course, any recaps of the Home Run Derby, if you know, if Acuna does well in the All-Star Game and all that good stuff. And then when do uh, – maybe I'm teasing ahead too much, but when does the top 30 come out for you guys? I am glad you asked, Mr. Coleman. Uh, <laughs> it actually, it actually starts rolling out tomorrow. We, we put out the honorable, honorable mentions list today. Uh, if Matt Powers has had his way, we would have had to rework all the rankings because Backstrom signed. But, <laughs> but, uh, I refuse to do that. <laughs> so you will not see Makai Backstrom's name on our list, but we are going to mention him kind of at the top. Just kind of say generally where we, we think you probably would have ended up. Uh, just so people don't ask us a hundred times, uh, they probably still will. Uh, so it's going to be rolling out six players a day for the next five days, uh, going through Friday, where we do the top six. A lot of players have graduated. A lot of guys who I've been writing about for a long time are no longer eligible, mm-hmm. which is really weird for me. It's uh, like lot- seeing your kids grow up. It's it's so bizarre, man. Uh, we were when I was at the when I was covering the Braves game and I was at SunTrust on the field. Uh, I was just talking to some of the media guys. And all of a sudden, I saw Soroka, and he saw me. He kind of jogged over, and he's like, it's good to see you up here. And I'm like, yeah, it's weird for me. I'm not going to lie, because, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I was covering his games in Rome. You know what I mean? It's yeah, it's, yeah. it's bizarre. It's kind of a bizarre place for me to be in right now. I'm seeing a lot of these guys who I've been covering forever. And, you know, it's a little bit different when you're seeing them in low-A Rome's field versus, you know, yeah, under sure. the lights and sun trust. So, but it's been a, it's been a lot of fun. Um, thanks so much, Scott. really appreciate you taking the time to be on this with me and kind of Help me get through this journey of hosting this particular <laughs> podcast. Uh, I'm used to, you know, talking about minor league stuff, so it's kind of nice to kind of do things a little bit differently and, you know, talk about some talk about the major league club a little bit because most of the time I'm 
kind of doing mostly minor league stuff. So make sure you uh, check out the site this week for the pro- the prospect list. There's going to be some other original content stuff coming out, including those roundtables we were talking about. And I'm sure the guys are going to be coming up with stuff. Well, they, they, we don't do well when there's not baseball happening, and we probably you'll probably see some articles popping up on a variety of topics just because we want we want to talk about baseball because that's what we love doing. Make sure you subscribe to Talking Shop on iTunes or whatever per, uh, podcast purveyor you choose to use. And make sure you leave a five star review because not only do you get this podcast where normally you get to hear about Brad Roland and his you know trade proposals for you know getting rid of Ozzy Albies and me and Scott desperately trying to <laughs> doing that versus uh and but you also get the Road to Atlanta podcast which is the one I do regularly host uh which comes out most of the time on Thursdays where we talk about the Meyer League system and we we get some really fun guests I'm sure there's gonna be some guests coming up on this podcast as well so when you're subscribing to a podcast feed and you get those both those podcasts it feels like a no-brainer to me we hope that you continue to enjoy uh, listening to us and those response to the podcast I mean Scott you've been doing this you've been doing these for a while too like how this podcast has grown and like what it's turned into has been, it's been really fun and I'm sure you've enjoyed it as well. Yeah, it's great. And again, you know, I want to thank everybody who listens because if, if nobody was listening, we probably wouldn't do these twice a week. So, you know, do thank everybody for listening and, and appreciate it. So, uh, yeah, it's always a lot of fun to, to talk about the Braves. Yeah, I will end by saying, kind of following up on what Scott was saying, this first half has been incredibly fun. Last year was fun, but it was almost like I was very apprehensive because yeah, me you know, too. You, you, you just, you just, was this real? You don't really, you're kind of waiting for it to stop and then it just didn't. Um, this year, I mean, the, the, the team's just been going wild and it feels real and it feels like the team isn't just a little bit better than their competition, that in a lot of cases is significantly better. And that's just a joy to watch, to watch these young guys who we've been kind of following in various ways to kind of come into their own and really kind of show what that they're one of the classes in baseball period. You know, it, you know, they might, it might not culminate with a World Series win, but you know, it's a non-zero consideration right now, and it's been a joy to watch. So thanks again to all you guys. Brad will be back next week. I'm reasonably certain. At least he hasn't told me that I'm going to be posting again <laughs> next week. Uh, and we'll see you guys next time.